Before I start, I want to just say that this experience, did you feel the anointing when you were talking to did, Jenny, did you feel the anointing? This, this experience has helped me more than ever appreciate the tangibility and the reality of the realm of the spirit. We know that it's real, but the, but, but the last two services when I was here and doing it, to, you remember Sunday night I think was our last one where we had 50 people spread out. And although I enjoyed seeing the people, I got to be honest with you, it had a strange feel to it. Uh, it the people were right hard and their, their hearts were right. But just with everybody spread so sporadically around the congregation, it had a tinny, empty kind of feeling to it. I could feel the anointing to teach, but that unity just was not there the same way. Uh, and so, you know, while it's nice to see people, in some ways, it's almost like unless we can have a normal gathering of people, um, it, it, maybe, this is, maybe this is better for now. Uh, I don't know. There's a benefit to having 50, but there's also a benefit to not having that sense of emptiness in the in the building, and of course it's the building's physically empty, but there's not there's a I sense almost ironically more unity. I don't know how to explain that in English, but it almost I almost sense more unity that we're, the way we're doing it now, almost like people are are pulling, and that's what makes their spiritual realm so real, because to have nobody here. Now we have two, the church is growing, now we have new, two new people here. But, but, but uh, just to have Peter here, and he's working, and, and, but to have that kind of a draw, that kind of a pull on, on the anointing, and I could feel it so strong on Wednesday and Friday, means that people were watching because there's no time and there's no distance in the Spirit. In the spirit, there's no distance, meaning you can sit right here and draw, or you can sit in your home and draw, and if there's no distance in the spirit, your spirit is putting a draw and a demand on that office and on that anointing in, in my life, and, it's, and that anointing starts to flow, and there's no distance. And it's just amazing how real the spiritual realm is that we can have that kind of a flow when the sanctuary is empty. Yeah. It's astonishing to me. So it just makes me appreciate how real God is, and I, and I thank you for watching and for drawing, not just watching watching, yes. but watching and drawing. Remember, show God honor. If you would have come here in person and taken the time and got dressed up, I'm not saying you have to dress in fancy clothes, but at least wake up on time, gather your family together, gather them together. Parents, if you've got children, gather them together. You would have gathered them together to put them in the car and bring them to church. Gather them together. Put them in your living room. Put on the television or the or iPad or the laptop or whatever you've got. Gather as a family and, and show, say, God, I, we, we honor you enough that even though this is unusual and this feels a little bit different and we're not physically in the building, we're still bringing our spiritual supply, we're still bringing our financial supply and we're putting a draw and we're gonna gather as a family and watch. And I'm telling you, God will honor that and, he, and it, that, that shows him reverence when you do that as opposed to the attitude of, well, you know, I'm gonna sleep in and I'll, I'll watch the archive at two o'clock in my pajamas while I'm, you know, flossing my teeth or something. I'm not saying that that's wrong or sin. I'm saying that's not at the same level of honor as if you were to say, Father, this is an appointment with you. Whether I'm physically in the building or not, this is an appointment with you. I'm going to sit there and pay attention, have my notepad out exactly as I would do, ready to push the donate button or drop it off on, on Tuesday. But Lord, I'm going to do the same thing I've always done. Praise God. And it will surely be okay. Amen. Amen. So praise God for the reality of the spiritual realm. Now, let me remind you, because God has been so kind, he gave me one sentence on Wednesday night. It's more than one, but one that the main sentence that I shared with you. And then on, on Friday night, he gave me a whole bunch of paragraphs. He basically preached the sermon to me and I just repeated it and added verses. And then today he's only given me one paragraph, one sentence again, like Wednesday night. But what a specific
specific and clear way that he spoke to me. I mean, yesterday, very, very clear and distinct. That's why I asked them to share what they shared because it lines up so perfectly with what he said to me. And, and I didn't talk to them, not even my wife, about, she asked me and I said, I'm not telling you what I'm preaching. You know, just, just follow with the Holy Ghost and see what God says through you. I wanted to do that on purpose to show that without uh, discussion, the Holy Ghost is People are picking up, my, my leadership are picking up what the Spirit of God is saying. So this is from God for you. Let me remind you of the first statement that he said on Wednesday night. He said, this should be easy for my people. And he meant POLC. Because when trouble comes, all you need is faith. And the scripture I preached on, and there was a strong anointing, was about Jairus. And he said, do not be afraid, only believe. The only thing that's on the agenda at times like when trouble comes, and this is a time of trouble, the only thing on the agenda is believe, is feeding your faith. And that's why on Friday night, by the Holy Ghost, or I think it was Friday or Wednesday, or whenever it was, I said, be careful uh, what you're watching on the news. I'm not saying you can't watch, but if it's hurting your faith, turn it off. If it's not hurting your faith, then you can watch it. Uh, but, it, but be careful how many other voices that you're hearing, other, other messages, other people, because uh, too much voice will cause confusion because not every voice, listen carefully to me, not every voice, first of all, has the same spirit of faith or spiritual diet coming from the same place of revelation. And that will cause confusion spiritually. But more importantly, not every voice has an anointing for your life. Not every voice has a grace for your life. Amen. So when Pastor Nancy says, if I can get around the person that has a grace for my life, meaning Brother Copeland, before him it was Dr. Dufresne and, and Dad Hagen, if I can get around people with a, those ones that God has assigned with a grace for my life, th their words will land in me differently because God has anointed them to speak into me. And God doesn't anoint every Tom, Dick, and Harry to speak into you. That doesn't mean that Tom, Dick, and Harry aren't anointed. But they're anointed to talk to somebody, but it may not be you and the grace on them may not be for you. So what I believe very strongly, and if you, if you listen, you'll be helped. If you don't listen and rebel against my words, it's going to hurt you, whether you realize it or not. It will hurt you. Time will prove it out, because Dr. Dufresne talked about this for years. Dad Hagen talked about this for 70 years of ministry. These men knew something that we didn't know, so pay attention and don't think you're so smart that you know everything. If you will narrow your listening and you're watching and you're receiving to the voices that God has anointed to speak into your life. Those voices are anointed, but they may not be anointed to speak into your life. Focus on the ones that have a grace for your life, the voice that is a grace for your life, the person that's anointed to speak into your life. Focus exclusively on them and you will find God will speak to you more. He'll speak to you more clearly. There'll be less confusion. You won't be wandering and I don't understand this. You won't be distracted and pulled and, and all. you won't. So that's why I said I wasn't trying to be mean. And some people email and apologize to me. And you don't need to apologize. Nobody needs to apologize for sending me an encouraging article or an encouraging you know, snippet of some preacher here or there. You don't have to apologize. I'm not mad at anybody. And I wasn't thinking about any particular name when I said that sentence. What I'm trying to say to you is I guard what goes into me. I guard the voices because not every voice is anointed for me, although many voices are anointed, but they're not anointed for me. Do you understand? So I listen very carefully. I'm very specific. 
Of course, my standard is Dad Hagen. That's my standard. That's who feeds me the, the majority of the time. And then, of course, Dr. Dufresne as well. And then, of course, the voices that are anointed for my life are Pastor Nancy, Brother Greer, Brother Jerry, and also Grandpa Copeland, what we would call because he is over them and they are over me. So I, if I'm going to listen to a live voice, it's probably going to be one of those four. And a lot of those people are saying a lot of things. If you look at how much just those four are saying and you listen to everything that they're saying, my God, uh, you'll be, you'll run out of time. I don't really have even the time to be listening to Tom, Dick and Reverend Harry. I, 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 I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for the people that are anointed for me. That doesn't mean other people aren't good, but if they're not anointed for you, you'd be wise to just yeah, right. stop, stop having that, uh, that spiritual curiosity. Uh-huh. Spiritual curiosity is dangerous. You will feed on that kind of grass, but the shepherd has never fed you that kind of grass before. And then all of a sudden it doesn't react right with your, with your spiritual stomach. You can't digest it properly. So, uh, and of course, if I'm your pastor, yes, you can listen to those above me, but who should you be listening the most to? And this sounds narcissistic, but it's not. It's a spiritual law. Who should you be listening most to? Should you be listening most to Billy Graham Jr.? I mean, Franklin Graham, let me say, uh, that's his name, right? Frank, Frank, he's a wonderful man, but is he anointed for your life? Should you be listening to Benny Hinn? Wonderful man, but is he anointed for your life? Some people listen to Fatine, and I'm not thinking about anybody in particular because she's a wonderful powerhouse in Canada, but she, her voice is she's not your pastor. You're, so you doesn't nothing, nothing wrong with listening to her if you want to listen, but who should you be listening to most to? The person who God has anointed and graced to speak into your life so it lands right. Amen. That is your pastor. That's why everybody needs a pastor. That's why the devil fights it so much to make people think that they don't need a pastor because he doesn't want things to land in them right and take root and then grow and build and be prosperous. So you should be listening to me more than you listen to Pastor Nancy, more than you listen to Brother Copeland, more than you listen to anybody else because I'm the one graced for your life. Yes. But because they're graced for my life and I'm graced for your life as a secondary feeding source, you can listen to those and I encourage you to listen to those. And I'm not saying that other people you're not allowed to listen to, we're not a cult, do whatever you want. You want to listen to them? Listen to Reverend Tom, Dr. Dick and Specialist Harry. Listen to all of them if you want. But I'm saying it's not going to serve you as well as if you listen to those that have an anointing and a grace for you. And that is in this situation your pastor. Praise God. So make sure that you pay attention to that because I felt that God wanted me to say that to you. This should be easy for my people, meaning P-O-L-C, because when trouble comes, all you need is faith. So he emphasized that first message, which was kind of the first time that we did this new season of this empty sanctuary was Wednesday night. And listen to that message. If you didn't, the anointing will help you. He he was emphasizing only faith. That's all you need. Nothing else. Anything that hurts it, anything that dilutes it, anything that complicates it, anything that tries to compete with it, which all these other voices will do that, cut it off. Anything, because what you need is faith. That, that will get you through. So any enemies of faith, we are vicious against, especially in this season. Now, of all the stuff he said Friday night, let me give you the first sentence because it was the most important. And he said, don't ever let go the place that you are occupying in the spirit. And he was explaining to me how I've been believing for certain things, but with my attention gets on the cookie jar or, or, or the lesser or the easier thing to do, but which the lesser amount to believe for instead of what he told me to believe for, what I'm doing is relaxing that grip. And, and what's going to happen is eventually I'm going to drop it, just believe for the lesser. And then when this is all over, I'm going to 
to be behind. I'll have given up hard-fought ground in the Spirit, and I'm event- it's going to take me longer to get back to where I was. And the Lord says, I don't want that. I want you to hold fast what you've been believing for. In other words, he said, only believe. There's an f- emphasis on what you need is faith. Now he's taking it a step further, and he's saying, in your believing, in your, because when you believe, you're gripping. As you believe me for this, don't just believe for the lesser, believe for what I told you. I told you something, don't let it go. Hold fast to that. Doesn't matter contradictory circumstances. It doesn't matter, don't be distracted or concerned. I, I, that is, has nothing to do with anything what is going on in this world. What you do is you hold, only believe, onto what I've told you. You see how he's progressing that. Now he's taking it to a step further, honey. And this is what he said to me last night, and I want, you, I want to read this statement to you. Like I said, this time he only gave me one statement, but I've built a sermon around it that I believe will help you. And he said this, the place that I have prepared for you is the same regardless of natural situations. And I expect you to obey and enter into it so that I can bless you and so that you can enjoy what I've prepared for you. Let me say that again. The place that I have prepared for you is the same regardless of contradictory circumstances, situations. So sorry, regardless of natural situations. That's how we worded it. And I expect you to obey and enter into it so that I can bless you and so that you can enjoy what I've prepared for you. (laughs) Praise God. The place that I have prepared for you is the same regardless of natural situations. In other words, coronavirus is a natural situation and a distraction, but it has got absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the place I've prepared for you. And that's what the world, the world is taking this new normal as as, in, in every, in every realm. This now becomes the normal naturally. It becomes a normal, this situation dictates what is now naturally normal, emotionally normal, and spiritually normal. And that's what God is saying, that's not right. It's okay to say there's some natural things we have to adjust to, but you don't adjust spiritually because of a natural situation. That's the difference. Yes, we are hindered in our gathering. We have to adjust to that. We can't go to restaurants. We have to adjust to that. We can't have parties. We can't do this. We can't do that. We have to, these are natural things you're going to have to adjust to for a short period of time. And it's not that hard, so don't whine. But we have to adjust to some things for a certain period of time. What is the danger is the devil will try to now take what God said and he will try to have you carry that over into this is the new normal. This is now I have to adjust what God said based on natural situations. Now you have to adjust the gathering in the church and your schedule and your work and all that stuff. That has to be adjusted. But you don't adjust what God said to match natural situations. Because the place I've prepared for you is the same. Amen. We could have said it this way, Jenny. What I've said to you, because if he's prepared a place, it means he's spoken. What I've prepared for you or the thing I've spoken to you is the same. Regardless of natural situations, we could say contradictory circumstances. And I expect, in other words, just because the natural has to change, the spiritual word of God what he has said, what he has directed, and the place he has prepared has not changed. Your natural routine may have changed. How you handle day-to-day may have changed, but what he said did not change. And that's the danger. People adjust their natural routine, and then they slide that. Also have been different now. 
and that's what he is correcting us on. Natural may have changed, but what he said, what he dictated, what he prepared has not changed. Amen. It is the same, regardless of natural circumstances or contradictory situations. Amen. It's the same. And I expect you to obey. He's not offering, he's not asking if you're in the mood. He said, I expect you to obey and enter into it. Enter into what? The place he's prepared. The place that I have prepared for you is the same, regardless of natural situations. And I expect you to obey and enter into it so that I can bless you and you can enjoy what I've prepared for you. In other words, I've said some stuff and I've prepared some stuff, but now you've got some contradictory circumstances. Don't listen to those circumstances and then think I've changed my mind. My, what I've said is the same. Other things may have changed, but what I've said is the same. Now I expect you to obey what I said, to enter into what I said, so why? I can bless you and you can enjoy it. Because what I've prepared for you, I want you to have. Doesn't matter corona nonsense virus or whatever. And I'm not making light of it. I know people are dying. I know there's half a million cases on the planet right now. I know people are dying. But what I'm trying to say to you is that it doesn't matter what the world system dictates. What God said is the same. And just to give you an, an estimation, it's not exact, but just to give you an idea, just so you can have a, 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 a glimpse of what it really looks like. Because I was doing some math last night. I was a bit bored, so I did some math. So there's about 1,100 cases in Ontario, and there's 14 and a half million people in Ontario. And there's half a million cases worldwide and about seven, just over 7 billion people worldwide. The ratio, Jennifer, of cases in Ontario is the exact same ratio as globally. There are 0.00007 and a bunch of other numbers, cases globally, and there's 0.00007 cases in Ontario. So if you look at, make Ontario the world, the 14 and a half million people in our province represent 7 billion people on, over 7 billion people on the planet. And if you look at the number of cases in Ontario, that is the same ratio as the number of cases globally. So 1,100 cases in all of our province of 14 million is a tiny, tiny drop. Now it can exponentially grow if measures are not taken, but it's a tiny drop. And this is the same ratio out there. But the point is whether it's a tiny drop or whether it's a big deluge, it could be a billion cases, not half a million. But it wouldn't matter what I'm trying to say. What God's trying to say is it might be a tiny drop right now globally and, it, and we're believing that it won't grow, that the curve will flatten. And that's what we're praying for and that's what we're commanding. But the point is this, whether it's small or whether it's great, whether, whether there is a lot more cases, whether there's a lot more chaos or whether it's almost at its end, which we're believing it is, it wouldn't matter because it's still a contradictory circumstance or how he phrased it, a natural situation. And what I have prepared, in other words, what I have commanded and spoken is the same. In other words, like you said, Reverend Taylor, did God know this was going to happen? Of course he knew this was going to happen. Did he factor in coronavirus when he said Hebron? He obviously knew everything that was going to happen. He knew that for the first time in any of our existence, any of our lives, we'd be sitting here with an empty sanctuary and just trusting that people have been taught right and are going to do the right thing. I don't just mean financially, I mean spiritually, that you won't backslide, that you won't, that you won't cast off your confidence and off your faithfulness and off your spiritual living and spiritual habits. I mean, 
either you're taught right or you're not taught right. But no one of us would have thought for a second that this would have ever happened. But God knew that on March 29th, that, they, that, that, that this, he knew that on the Wednesday, the Friday and today, and for the foreseeable future, that this was gonna happen. He knew all of that. He, when he said about Hebron, he knew what was happening and what was going to happen. Did you notice that he didn't shy away? from saying what he had said to us, Jenny, because he knew coronavirus was coming. He didn't shy away because he knew the sanctuary would be empty. He still said, he still said what he said, which means he still prepared a place. And it's the same. Doesn't matter what happens in the natural. He expects us to stand on what he said, to obey what he said, and to enter into the place that he said. Why? So he can bless us, prosper us, and so that we'll enjoy it because he didn't prepare it for nothing. So having said all of that, let me just remind you of a few verses. I'm not gonna read them all for sake of time, but I just want to remind you about God's word when he says something, it's a done deal. Doesn't matter what other, what other things happen. First Peter chapter one and verse 25. Just real quick, I wasn't even gonna share these, but, but I'm just going to because I want you to have a little bit extra of the Bible. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 25, and the Bible says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. Just, it's good to just have extra of the word. But the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Meaning the natural things in this earth, grass, flowers, they die. Natural circumstances may change, but the word stands forever. What God says doesn't change regardless of natural circumstances. Finally, Matthew 24 and verse 35. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. And the Bible says these words, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What is he saying? What is earth? It's a natural thing. It's in this realm. The earth may change. The earth may pass away. Things may happen. Situations may change, but my word does not change. So he's telling us, and this is just three, I could quote you a dozen scriptures in the Bible where he says, what I say is the same, doesn't matter what happens on the earth. Jesus said my words. Isaiah said his word. Flower fades, but his word stands forever. First Peter says his word is forever. It stands forever. So in other words, what God says is what God says. Now, we're not going to carry over from the natural to the spiritual changes. The natural has changed, but that doesn't mean the spiritual changes. We, our, our, our routines and schedules have changed. Lifestyles have changed. Spending habits have changed, but that doesn't mean what God said changes. Not just the basic things that God said. God said, walk in love. That doesn't change. God said, obey the law. That doesn't change. The natural law, the, the law of the government. God says, forgive. That doesn't change. God says, use your faith. That doesn't change. These are basics. God says, tithe. That doesn't change. God says, give. That doesn't change. God says, pray. That doesn't change. All these basics don't change. I'm talking about the basics of, of the word of God. But now the specifics for our life is what I'm focusing on. Obviously, the base things don't change. We know that. But what about the specific things that God has said to us? 
What God has told us about Hebron is, yes, in the word, but it's not just a base thing like walk in love and pray in the Holy Ghost and, and tithe. Those are basic instructions. But now it's a prophetic word. It's a specific word for our life. That word also does not change. It does not change any more than tithing or walking in love or prayer changes or worship changes. No word of God, whether it's rhema that he spoke to you personally or whether it's just a basic word about lifestyle, nothing changes. Now, what has he said to us, Jenny? That's what we have to focus on. So let's not carry things over. Just because the circumstances change and the schedule changes and our day-to-day living changes, we don't carry that over into the spiritual realm and think what God said has changed. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to think that what God said has changed, but it hasn't. Now, what has God said to us? I want to I wanna remind you, look at Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Uh, the Lord gave me these three scriptures. He reminded me, I should say, of these three scriptures. There's others. In fact, Taylor read one in Isaiah 45 this morning. There's others, but I'm just going to focus on these three for a second. Isaiah, uh, sorry, uh, what did I say? Exodus, Exodus chapter 23. And if you'd go down to verse 20, Exodus 23 and verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. The angel went before him. To word keep means to protect. Now, 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 just to ruffle your feathers. Because if I don't ruffle something, you'll feel like you're not at church. Got to step on something, right, Reverend Taylor? Step on a toe somewhere. Look at verse 19. The first of the first fruits of thy land shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Do you remember I explained that to you some months ago? They would sprinkle with special milk the, the flowers and the trees and everything as, as, a, as a pagan heathen practice like witchcraft ritual. And they would say our, our stuff will produce more fruit. We'll have a better harvest next year because of this magical practice of taking milk, right? right? That, that, that's what that means. See a kid in his mother's milk is talking about they would, they would take the mother's milk, they would, they would boil the baby goat in the mother's milk and then take that milk and then sprinkle it over things and they would believe that that by some magical practice would cause a great harvest. What is God saying? He's saying, he says, bring the tithe into the house of the Lord and don't do magical practices thinking that will bring you increase. That's what he's saying. He says, just obey what I'm telling you to do and tithe. I'm going to bless you because you tithe, not because you sprinkle trees with milk. Now, did you notice that the tithe is mentioned before the angel? You tithe and you trust him. Then the next thing he says, I'm going to send an angel, which makes me wonder if you're not keeping the covenant of tithing, maybe the angels don't work for you the same way. And we know that that's true because angels will work with you when you speak the word. But if you're a violator of the covenant, uh, you may quote the scriptures and release them as much as you want, and they'll help you as much as they're able to help you. But there's a certain place where they won't be able to because you're in disobedience. And when you are not in obedience, angels are not able to help you. Not the same measure that they could. So what did he say here? Bring the tithe. Don't trust weird things like sprinkling milk. Bring the tithe because that's the way I'm going to bless you. Now, once you've done that, hey, I'm going to send an angel before you. 
to protect you, keep means to protect, in the way, the path that I've called you to walk, and to help bring you into where? The place that I've prepared. So angels have gone before us to bring us into this place of Hebron that God has prepared. But the point is, I want you to see, God has prepared. He prepared. Now, I wasn't going to, Taylor, but because I got excited when you read that scripture, let me just read it again to them. Uh, Isaiah 45 and verse 2. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. In other words, I've gone ahead of you. Now, Exodus 33, we won't read it for sake of time, but he also says, I send my angel before you to drive out the inhabitants of the land and all this kind of stuff. We see so many times God says, I'm going before you. Angels are going before you. Why? If Taylor goes ahead of me, what's he doing? He's preparing something so that when I get there, it's all set up like the hotel room right? So what he's saying is, listen, uh, I'm going before you, which which implies preparation. If you go before, it implies preparation. So he says here, I'm going before you. He says in Exodus 33, I'm going before you. It doesn't say the word prepare, but it implies it. Now, Exodus 23, he actually says, I'm sending an angel. He's going to protect you. He's going to help you in the way. He's going to bring you to the place I have prepared, meaning there's intentional thought. God has prepared a place. I'm trying to get that over to you. This year, 2020 in Hebron, God has prepared a place. This is not us just spinning the wheel blindly, batting the wind with our, this is not just us rolling the dice, maybe, maybe not, let's see what happens. This is not casino-rama. This is God saying, I have prepared a place. Remember, Reverend Tom, Dick, and Reverend Harry are at casino-rama. But but we are going into the place that God has prepared. Now, have a look at the next one. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. I think you know this one already, but I'll read it to you anyway, especially from the Amplified because it's so wonderful in the Amplified classic Ephesians 2 10 says for we are God's own handiwork his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus born anew that we may do those good works which God has predestined planned beforehand for us now watch taking paths which he prepared ahead of time he prepared the path ahead of time and not just the path because that's the transitionary part but the destination where the path leads he's also prepared ahead of time if he prepared a path he's obviously prepared the destination so taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them living the good life Life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So what is the good life? If you take a path, you're going to have a good life on the path and you're going to have a good life at the destination where the path leads. And both those God prepared ahead of time. Now, last one. Let's read, please, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. And it says, but I, as it is written, now he's quoting the Old Testament, of course, in Isaiah, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. How many times is God telling us over and over again, I've prepared something for you. I've prepared something for you. I'm not haphazard. This is not rolling the dice. This is not a card game of luck. This is, this. you have sure footing, son. You're on a path that I've asked you to walk and I've even prepared good stuff on that path while you're walking. But when you get to where I'm telling you to go, there's a place thing, there's something prepared there. Even Jesus says in the bigger picture, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house or many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would not have told you. Jesus is even saying in the bigger picture, see, there's a path and there's destinations in this journey of life on the earth. While we're in Christ, he's prepared places for us to go. But in the bigger picture, in heaven, he's also preparing a place. That when we leave this earth and go there, he's prepared mansions, he's prepared assignments, he's prepared much for us to enjoy in the other realm. But even in this realm, he keeps saying, I've prepared a place, I've prepared a place, I've prepared a place, I've prepared a place. This is not haphazard. This is, I'm not... I'm not taken by surprise, son. I, I, this is all, I knew it all before. I was the author and the finisher. I was the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I saw the whole thing. I got a bird's eye view of the whole thing. I know this little blip's gonna happen. That has got no bearing whatsoever on what I've prepared for you. And that's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Praise God. So let's first establish that he's prepared things for us. Now, when he tells us Something's going to happen because he's prepared it. He expects us to believe him regardless of contradictory circumstances. Let me read you the original phrase that he said to me. The place that I have prepared for you is the same regardless of natural circumstances, situations. And I expect you to obey and enter into it so I can bless you and you can enjoy what I've prepared for you. So because he's, when he's told us to do something, which is the same thing as he's prepared a place and he's therefore told us to do something so that we'll enter that place. He's expecting us to believe him regardless of contradictory circumstances because he knew that coronavirus was coming. Now listen, Taylor, if on regular living, we would believe him for Hebron to come to pass, that would be an act of faith. But in face of contradictory circumstances, for us still to believe him that Hebron will come to pass is great faith. Do you see the difference? If we're all meeting, we'd still be releasing our faith and that would be faith. But when everything is against us and everything looks impossible and we're still believing him despite contradictory situations and natural circumstances. If we're still believing him that the place he prepared, we are going to enter in. What he told us to do, we are going to do. He's told us to do something so that we'll enter into the place he's prepared. And we're still believing him that we're going to do what he said and we're going to enter in and enjoy what he's prepared for us. For us to do that in light of what we're facing right now, it's not just faith. That's great faith. Praise God. So I want to encourage you, have great faith. That's why he said on Wednesday night, faith. It's all about keeping your faith. That's why he said Friday night, don't let go what I've told you to believe me for. What's he saying? I've prepared a place. I've told you to do something. I've got a place prepared. I've got 350 prepared and I've got 35,000 a week prepared. Now that's what I've told you. That's what I've spoken. That's the place I've prepared to bless you. Now, if you let that go (laughs) and you take the lesser shame on you, No, don't let circumstances dictate. Hold fast, only believe, and hold fast. Now he's adding a third step. He's saying, why am I telling you to do that? Because when I tell you that I've prepared something for you, it's the same no matter what the natural looks like, and I fully expect you to hold fast to your grip and to move on into this place so that I can bless your socks off. So it's gonna happen, Jenny, no matter what, because I've set my heart to believe God regardless of contradictory circumstances. My Hebron is going to look the same for me regardless of the blip on the screen in March and possibly April. It's going to look the same. This believing in face of test and trial is great faith. Praise God. What he has said 
has not changed. Hebron is still Hebron. I'm not going to get into all of the vision casting because we were supposed to do that and then all of this happened and I never got to finish it. Remember, I think on that last Sunday, Taylor, I got when we had everybody here the last time. I think we had about 30, 40 people that didn't show up, but everybody else was here. And I got only into the first statement of, of I don't remember, what was that first statement? Do you remember? I don't even really remember what that was, but it's in my notes. But I just got into that first level of, of what I was preaching on. What was that, Taylor? Yes, that's right. I got in that first step. God was talking to me about what Randy had said, because that was the first Sunday after Randy. Remember, Randy left on Thursday. Thursday night was the last service, and he had spoken about my office. And then the Lord said, now you deal with that. And I thought I'd get through all the vision casting, but all I got through was the first point about what he had said publicly. And God said, now I release you to talk about it publicly because he said it. We've hinted it. We've said a little bit here or there because he's also said, and so is Pastor Nancy and others. But that was the first time he gave an entire sermon on that. And remember, I played 15 minutes for the congregation on that Sunday of what happened when we had our leaders meeting with them on Wednesday morning and we played the 15 minute clip of what we talked about the apostolic nature of our church and so when 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 that happened he said now just and then the anointing came on me and I just started to I just went on and on and on because what what we're doing we're casting the vision first and most importantly because you got to be able to receive the church and receive the under shepherd in the office that he stands in otherwise you won't receive the rest of the vision and why do we even have such a large vision? Because of the office. So that's why he held me back from sharing the whole vision because he wanted to emphasize the office because if you don't receive the office right, you won't receive the vision right. Amen. And remember I said, Jenny, it was almost like another, it was like a secondary uh, membership almost. Like they had, swore, they had received me as their pastor, but now they needed to receive me as more than that. Otherwise, they won't be able to receive and run with the vision. Remember the week before we talked about runners. Before Randy came, it was runners. See, look at how the Holy Ghost, I mean, I can't make that up. He's talking about run with the vision. Randy comes and says, by the way, it's an apostolic vision. Then he says to me, now talk about what they're running with, the vision, but first talk about they got to receive this apostolic anointing. Otherwise, they can't run with the vision. So then the next week, I was supposed to share the rest of the vision, but then Corona hit and interrupted my flow. How dare it? And now we've hit into all these. So we're just putting a pause on sharing what all the details of the vision are. And there's some stuff that I'm repeating, but there's also some new stuff that you don't know about. But I can't do that until our services resume. I don't feel it would be appropriate to share that like this with a camera. I need the people to be here so I can see you and you see me. So I'm pushing pause on that series until all this is over. But in the midst of all of that, we share about all of that. And then, of course, the, the corona thing happens. And then God, God was comforting us a little bit on that. Sunday morning and Sunday night about, remember we talked, uh, what did we talk about, Jennifer? Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And then I can't say it over live stream, but we had a miracle take place with one of the legal situations uh, that, that the God has completely withdrawn and, and supernaturally to the point that the lawyer said, I've never seen this happen in 28 years of being a criminal attorney. And so, because people had lied about us and accused us falsely and it had gone to, it was going to court and God told me, you hand, you strand strong, son. I will cause, I will deal with this. I will defend you because of innocency. And God did it supernaturally that the week after Randy left. And, and he had given me that word to stand on, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, don't fear. So I preached that Sunday morning, Sunday night, but then that kind of paused. 
I'm trying to help the people have an, have an overview. We were focusing on running and then the anointing for, for, for the apostolic. And then that last Sunday, I was talking about receiving me and we we're on that series. And then we push pause. And then all this stuff happens. And then he emphasizes, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing. So we did that for two services. And then it's almost like that kind of, that instruction kind of ended. I wanted to keep going. I had seven great points, but he hasn't let me share that yet. And then what, what do we start on Wednesday night? Wednesday night, he immediately starts with this instruction to me where he says, this should be easy for a lot of people only believe. So now he's emphasizing what we're going through right now about believing. Then he says the next time, Friday night, a couple nights ago, he says, hold fast, D believe, don't let go in favor of lesser things that are easier to believe for. Because what I said, what, they, what does he mean, Jenny? I'm bringing you into a place called Hebron. And what I've said and what I've prepared, you must hold fast to. Now he's saying this morning, he's keeping the same theme. And what he's saying to us is, and I'll repeat it again, the place that I've prepared for you, that's Hebron, is the same regardless of natural situations. And I expect you to obey and I enter into it so I can bless you and so that you can enjoy what I've prepared for you. You're holding on, but son, remember, you're holding, you're only believing and you're holding on this thing. Why? Because I've spoken it, because I've prepared it. What you're holding on to is what I've spoken. It's what I've prepared. I've prepared it and I knew this was coming and I still told you what I told you and I still expect you to hold fast and I still expect you to enter in and I still expect you to have what I've prepared for you so I can bless you. That's what he's telling us. And so I'm giving you verses to show you that he prepares stuff. But I'm reminding you, I'm not, I'm not getting into all the vision stuff. That's where I kind of went on that bunny trail. I'm not repeating all the vision stuff because I haven't shared it all and we're waiting till we resume. But let me at least say this because you already know this. This is what he said and what he has prepared, knowing Corona was coming, is that this is our Hebron year. This is our, what did he call it? A year of takeoff. What else did he call it? There's two images that he's referring to. He said, it's a year that you're gonna sit down in some things. And this was King David coming from Ziglag to Hebron where he sat down on his throne after 15 years of, of serving and being faithful and qualifying. And we had 15 years from 2004 to 2019 of serving, being faithful and qualifying. And God was saying, now you're sitting down. The clock has started. So there's a demarcation line in the spirit. The ministry in many ways begins from, it's weird to say it that way, but in some ways it begins. It's like milling about a dinner, but until you sit down where your place setting is, the dinner hasn't really started. All the other stuff was preliminaries. And I feel like all these 50 years and more than that, because I've been preaching for 29 years, it's all preliminaries because now we've sat down in some things. There's a royal authority that's come. We have been, now I said, Lord, now give me a word for that. And he said, establishment. So there's an element of establishment coming, almost like the beginning of a ministry, so to speak. It's a new season, but it's a massive demarcating line between the previous season, which was everything else, and this season. In the previous season, there were other little, you know, rooms and, and you know, what we call phases and rooms. There was many of those, but God has like drawn a line right down from north to south, and he said everything before that was here, and everything now will be after that. That's really what he's saying. And so there's a settling and a sitting down in this year. Now that he said, knowing coronavirus would come, it will still come to pass. Then he, secondly, he called it the year of takeoff. 17 was the year he would say some things. 18 was the year that he would start some things. 19 was the year he would settle some things. And 20 would be a year that would take off. What is takeoff? I'm doing my pilot's course so I know about aerodynamics 
aerodynamic forces of an aircraft. There are four of them. Do you know what they are, Taylor? But of course you don't. Praise God. But I'm going to teach you when we're flying. And you got your parachute on and you're all ready to go. I'm going to, you know, you got your goggles on just in case you fall out the window. I'm going to teach you the four forces, aerodynamic forces on an aircraft. Would you like to know them? No, you wouldn't. Let's move on. But I'm learning as a pilot what it takes to take off. And there's laws of physics that govern whether you can take off or not. Now, God said this is going to be a year of takeoff, which means you have to have what they call thrust, which means acceleration, in order for the law of lift to operate. So there has to be an acceleration in order to bypass the law of gravity and be able to lift or take off. That means that God said to me two things. It's a year of sitting down on some things and it's a year of takeoff. Two images, sitting down and in a plane. Now, what does that mean? It's a year of being established. There's an establishment coming in a certain way that we've never had before. And there's an acceleration in a certain way that we've never had before. Reverend Taylor, God said that when he knew the coronavirus was on the way. And it makes no difference whatsoever what society says, the mayor says, the U.S. says, the world economy says. What God said is going to happen because he said, when he said, the thing that I have prepared for you, the place I prepared for you is the same regardless of natural situations which means coronavirus and I expect you to obey it's on an option and to enter in to what the place I've prepared what I've said so that I can bless you and you can enjoy what I've prepared for you he Frank Plum expects it he does. amen so what is it it's a year of takeoff that means the the, corp, the corporate church promise of life is going to grow in numbers it's going to grow in money. It's going to grow in anointing. It's going to grow in revelation. It's going to grow in signs and wonders. It's going to grow in all these areas. It's going to grow in its international scope. It's going to grow in its aviation scope. It's going to grow in everything because he said it's a year of acceleration and it's a year of being settled and being established in some things. But that also means that you out there are, if you would take that word, not just for the corporation, so to speak, for the local church as a whole, but you make up the local church. Take it for you. Say, Father, I am going to accelerate my business, my job, my finances, my health, my children, my marriage, every Everything that relates to me as an individual is going to accelerate and I'm going to become more established. Now you've got to hold on to that regardless of the fact that you're not working, regardless of the fact that you're home, regardless of the fact that you can't go out for sashimi, which believe me was very hard for me. I'm in withdrawals. I can't have my sashimi at Heart Sushi. Uh, you, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Regardless of all these natural changes, you don't carry over the natural change to make it a spiritual change because what he said is the same and you are still going to accelerate and you're still going to take off. But those, Reverend Taylor, that don't listen to my voice, that don't listen to God speaking through me, those that carry the change over, those that say, well, not only is my natural schedule changed, but I guess God didn't mean what he said. And I guess I'm not going to take off. And I guess I'm going to let go of my faith and I'm going to let go and I'm going to take the cookie, the easy thing, instead of believing for what God told me. Those of you that do that, you know what? You ain't taking off. And you're not going to be established. You're going to be unsettled. You're going to be uprooted. And you're going to slow down to a grinding halt. And you're going to look and say, well, that's not fair. No, it is. It's not fair. But the rest of us are moving on. It's your choice whether you move or whether you don't move. 
The devil is not that powerful and neither is coronavirus and neither are natural circumstances. You have a choice whether you're going to do what God called you to do or not. And if you say, if you starts with your words and you're believing, just start to say, Father, I believe this is my Hebron year. Start with that. Father, I believe this is my takeoff year. This is my year of acceleration. It's my year of settling of establishment. It's my year of sitting down and at the table, the clock starts, things are going. This is my year. I am settled like my feet in cement. I am unmoved. That's what that's sitting down. It speaks of an unmovableness. When you're fellowshipping and you're having the hors d'oeuvres, there's a milling about, there's a, there's a transitionary attitude. But when you sit down, it's a, uh, you're established. This is my established year. Everything looks opposite to that. I don't care. I hold you to your word. This is my acceleration year. Everything looks contrary to that. I don't care. I keep my eye. I keep my eye on you. What did Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah Fat? <laughs> what did Jehovah Fat say? Our eyes are on you. What did King Asa say? We rest upon you. Amen. My God. If you'll just say, my eyes are on you, I will have it, doggone it, I will have it. In Jesus' name. I don't care what it says. And I don't care. I'm not going to touch it with my mind because I don't understand how it's all going to work out and how God's going to make it up to me. I don't understand. But I guarantee you he will because I hold fast and I'm not letting go and I'm holding that what he said and what he's prepared will surely come regardless of situations. And he knew this would happen when he said it and he expects me to hold fast. And expects me to enter in so he can bless me. And this is my Hebron year. And I'm going accelerating. And I'm going established. And I will increase in health and in finances and in clients and in work and in family and in relationships and in my children and in my marriage and in my social life. I will all and every element will be an increase. Proverbs 4, the path of the righteous is as the dawning light that grows brighter and brighter unto the noonday sun. My God. The noonday sun, Jenny, is when Jesus, that word in the, in the Hebrew, it means the established moment. The, the, earth, the sun builds and builds and builds until it reaches its zenith or midday noon, and then it stops building. After that, it's declining. So at the point of height, the Hebrew calls it being established. So the established day, King James says the perfect day, but the word in the Hebrew means the point of establishment. The day that the, the time of the day that the earth, that the, that, that the, the sun is established is as its highest, most powerful point. That's anything else is lesser and anything before still has to build. So what God is saying is I'm going to keep building you until you reach your zenith. When is, there'll never be a declining, ever. No. Never. No. Why? Because when Jesus stands in the clouds and he blows the trumpet and says, come up hither, that is the moment of zenith. <laughs> and, then it, and then if it's possible, it never declines in this realm, Taylor, because we reach that pinnacle when we're raptured and this world, our relationship to this world from that perspective ends. So we never see a declining. We only ever see an increasing. Then when we get to that world, which is another world altogether, it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And for all eternity, we keep increasing. We never decrease. This world you can decrease, but the path of the righteous will grow brighter and brighter unto the zenith of the noonday sun. And that's when he says, come up. He will never let us see decline. That's when we're caught away. And we say, Lord, any later, any later, I would have started declining, but I've reached my zenith because you called me. Now I'm in another realm. Now I keep increasing for eternity. 
I'm telling you, there's never a moment of darkness or gray or shadow or reduction or failure or, or, or spinelessness or I don't know what to do. God has none of that in him. There's not one particle of gray in God. Not even black. There's not even a particle of gray, even light gray. There's not a particle. There's nothing but light and truth and power and victory. Nothing. So when coronavirus comes, which is black, he expects his children to act like there's not even a particle of gray. We are increasing no matter what happens. And it may take God some time to make it back to us. And he might have to move some pieces around the chessboard for that to happen. That is not my concern. That is not on my side. That is on his side. My side is to hold fast and believe and say, my Hebron year will surely come to pass. I am being established like in cement. And at the same time, I am accelerating to the point of takeoff. It will surely happen for me because God said it. And God has prepared that. And no matter what I see in the natural, I hold fast that what God said he expects me to obey and speak and get an agreement on and put my attention on that. And it will surely come to pass. My God, I'm telling you, Jenny, it will surely come to pass. That's what he's been saying to me. Praise the Lord. So this is my, you are personally accelerating and are being established. Now, whatever that means to you, start specifying it. My wife and I, we have a budget. You should have one if you don't, otherwise you'll go in debt. We have a budget. We know what we can spend and we know what extra money, we know what projects we're believing God for. For example, we're believing God for a pool. May not be this year, but maybe next year, but we're believing God for a pool because those kids, uh, I might need to water baptize them a few times before they're older. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's a great way for me to deal with Ollie. There's no evidence or proof. Instead of punt kicking him, I just push him in the water. No, I'm just kidding. I love that dog very much. You know, you all know I'm kidding. But so, so we have a project. That's a faith project. We don't have the money for that, and that doesn't matter. We don't need the money for it. What we need is faith for it. Because if I just believe in faith, God will work it out somehow, some way. I don't know when, but he'll work it out that he'll cause that to come to pass. And we have other faith projects that we're believing God for. Personally, nothing to do with the church. And we have church faith projects, like, like paying for the hangar, like buying a plane, like increasing things for the pastors in Liberia, like, like sending Pastor Matthew. There's like hiring new staff because God told me you need to bring on an associate pastor. And so another associate pastor that has a different job description to Taylor. So, so because the people, as we grow, we're going to need more pastoral help. So the people are not left out and are not hurt. So there are Faith grows in projects for the ministry, and there's faith goes in projects for me. But I does it. So what I'm what I'm trying to say is, it, in my year of acceleration and establishment, I'm not just believing for the church. I'm believing for me and my my job, Taylor. Doesn't matter what my mind says. That's why if you keep watching and listening to negative words and the news and every other Christian and every other voice out there that's not anointed for you, it's going to shake your. It's going to shake you on this. That's why I don't let that stuff get in my mind. That's why I don't even want to listen to it because. Only believe, hold fast, and don't let go. I expect you to enter the place that I've prepared for you because what I've said is what I've prepared. If I said it's Hebron, I've prepared Hebron. If I've said that you're going to have a plane, you're going to have a plane. I've prepared it. If I've said you're going to have 350, it means I've prepared 350. Now, you have to enter in and, and, and occupy that. Like I said on Friday, there's a occupying right? And there's a rest that comes as you release your faith. But as, so we have to step into and occupy and enter into the place of 350. But he said it, that means he's prepared 350 adults for this season. Amen. That means he's prepared 35,000 a week for this season. That means he's prepared a plane for this season. That means he's for my life, he's prepared a pool. I, don't let your seasons rob you because it's not always 12 months. No, 
is a, a year. It does sometimes seasons go beyond the time frames, but he has prepared it because he said to my wife and I, it's part of the plan. I want you to have that for the children's sake so you can enjoy it with them and have the youth over and have pool parties and just get everybody moving to Aaron, praise God. I mean, it's all under, a, we got a, a secret plan to get all of you to fall in love so you can become my neighbors. Remember in heaven, we're all gonna live on the same street. It's gonna be called Promise of Life and we're all gonna be neighbors. So you might as well start practicing now and all move up to my neighborhood and we all be neighbors. You can come swim. Anyway, let's get moving back to the, back to the word. But my point is, because he, he said it, it's part of the plan. What is the plan, Taylor? It's part of the path. It's part of the destination. It's part of the assignment. It's part of what he's prepared. So it don't matter to me, contradictory circumstances. My job is to say, Father, this is my Hebron year. I'm taken off and I'm being established. And what you said to me personally will come to pass. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know when, but that's your side. My side is just to believe you. That pool will surely come to pass. The other projects Jenny and I believe in will come to pass. Pastor Matthew will come to pass. The ministry projects will come to pass. The money for the new pastor will come to pass. The aviation will come to pass. International ministry will come to pass. Lord, it will all come to pass because I'm accelerating. I'm taking off and I'm settling down into granite. I am being, I am so established. I am becoming immovable in my believing. This is why, this is what I've been saying. So, so don't focus on Corona, focus on Hebron. Get your words be on Hebron more than they are about, I can't have CC. I can't go to church. Stop it. In Jesus' name, look at Hebron and say, Father, regardless of this little blip, I am increasing. I am taking off. I am being established. This is my Hebron year. You prepared it. You spoke it. And you expect me to enter into it. My God, if you'll start to do that, it'll help you. Don't relax your grip. Can I give you one more scripture before we close? Amen. They're thinking, Taylor, he hasn't yelled at us enough. We must keep going for more yelling. Praise God. He, uh, Genesis chapter 26. Now, now God gave me, remember, remember in Wednesday when he said, only believe, he gave me supernaturally to preach on the story of Jairus. Remember that? Remember Friday when he talked to me about don't lessen your grip, he gave me supernaturally to talk about Joshua 1 and the Israelites that were moving and coming in to occupy the land. And then he also gave me Hebrews 4 supernaturally. I mean, I know scriptures that I can add to a sermon, but when he speaks a scripture to me, then that's God himself saying, you make sure you give the word to back up what you're saying. And on Thursday, uh, on Friday, it was both the Israelites there in Joshua 1 and also the Hebrews 4 about the place of faith rest. Yeah. That those were two divine scriptures. And then, on, and then Jairus from Mark chapter 5 was on Wednesday night. Now, today's sermon, I've, give, I've read you a lot of scriptures, but the only real scripture that he gave me, that he gave me, the others I've added because they, they, they help build the case that I'm preaching to you. But this scripture he gave me for you so that it has a different level of authority. Do you understand? Now have a look now, Genesis chapter 26 and verse one. Are you ready? And there was famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go, down, go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land where which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed 
obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the, anyway, uh, we go on here. I won't read all of it, but they basically asked who his wife was because like his mama, Sarah, his wife, Rebecca, was very beautiful. And so he lied like his daddy lied and said, she's my sister because he thought they'd kill him. And, and anyway, then verse well, let's just read it. I, what's the point of explaining it? I could have spent all the time reading it. And the men of the, of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say she is my wife, lest, uh, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebecca because she was fair to look upon. And it came to pass when he had been there a long time, notice that a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw and looked, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah. That word sporting means to have fun with, to play games with. It's not speaking sexually. It means, you know how a husband and wife sometimes joke around, but you can kind of tell that teasing is more than a brother and sister. <laughs> Maybe he stole a kiss a little bit not once in a while as he was teasing her. And so Abimelech called Isaac and said, verse 9, Behold of a surety, she is your wife. And how sayest thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, what is this that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lying, laid with your wife, and thou should have brought but guiltness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, he that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Watch now. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great. That word great is the Hebrew word gadol, and it means as a festoon, as something that you wrap round and round and round, and it gets bigger as you wrap it. It means it's gradual increase. The man waxed or grew great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. Now, this is what the Lord said to me as we close, because I know that uh, we've actually gone a lot longer today than I thought we would have. But this is what the Lord said to me as we close. He prepared a place of increase for Isaac, did he not? And what else? He expected Isaac to stay in the place despite contradictory circumstances. Now, you see, God's given me the scripture specifically, so listen carefully before we close and don't get tired. Listen carefully. What did God say to me? Let me, let me repeat it one more time. I've only said it nine times. Let me say it again. The place I've prepared for you is the same, regardless of natural situations. And I expect you to obey and enter into it so that I can bless you and you can enjoy what I've prepared for you. The place I've prepared for you is the same, regardless of what happens in the natural. Now, what had God prepared for Isaac? If you look there, God prepared this land of the Philistines called Gerar. He prepared that for Isaac. He prepared it, Jenny. And he says unto him, the Lord appeared to him, verse 2, and says, do not go to Egypt. But verse 3, stay in this land. So what did God say? He had spoken. When God spoke, it means he had prepared. If he said, stay in this land, it means this land is what I've prepared and I want to bless you. Look at the rest. For I will bless thee and unto thy seed I will give these nations to perform my oath to your father Abraham. What God was saying is, I don't want you to go there but I want you to stay here. That's the instruction, which means he's prepared it for him because whatever he speaks, he's prepared. And he's saying to him, this is the place where I am going to bless you. But Jenny, did you notice verse one? And there was famine in the land. So, so there is no crops. There is drought and famine. Everybody's hungry. And God says, in this bad place, I prepared to bless you. 
So don't go down to Egypt where it's flourishing. Stay right here because this is the place I've prepared. Everything in the natural contradicted what God said. And my brother and sister, are you listening to me? Everything in the natural today contradicts what God has said that this is our Hebron year. We are in a place of famine, yet God says, don't go down there. Stay here. I have prepared a place, and I'm going to bless you. And what did he do? We see right here, verse 6, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He had the choice. God gave him the choice. He could have left to the place that looked good and not been blessed or stay where God told him and be blessed, and he decided to stay. So what is my instruction to you as your pastor? And this is very important. Stay put. Stay put. Now, there's three areas, as I close, that you need to stay put in. Number one and most important is stay close and stay with your chief shepherd. First Peter 5, 4 says that when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Jesus is called the chief pastor or the chief shepherd. In other words, st- Isaac, stay where I told you to stay, boy. What are you, promise of life? Stay. Number one, keep your relationship with Jesus first, centered and sweet. Because he's the true love and he's the lover of our soul and he's our first love. Don't backslide. Don't, don't, get, in, don't, don't get to doubting God and don't get, make sure your core relationship is strong. Stay put with Jesus. What's the second thing? If there's a chief shepherd, there's an under shepherd. That's the person with skin on that stands in an office, namely me in your life, Pastor Nancy in my life. Stay put with your relationship with God. Stay put with your relationship with your pastor and your local church. And what's the third thing? Stay put with your personal vision. Now, your personal vision doesn't conflict with my vision for the church. But if God's told you to believe for a pool, that is a personal vision. If God's told you to believe for a house, that is your personal vision. If God's told you to believe for a husband or a wife, that is your personal vision. If God's told you to believe to get pregnant, that is your personal vision. If God's told you to start a new business or buy a new car or do something else or go on a special holiday that you can't afford, that is your personal vision. God's told you, I want you to help with the church. Now that becomes part of the vision personally, but also the vision for your under shepherd. So you stay put. What did he say? He said, Isaac, don't leave. I've prepared a place of famine (laughs) to bless you. What did Isaac do? Yes, sir. What is God saying to you through me? Don't leave. Don't leave God. Stay sweet. And he's number one. Don't leave your local church and your pastor. Keep your divine associations with those that have grace for your life. Don't leave his instruction of his word because you keep tithing, you keep praying, you keep doing all these things. Don't leave it. And number three, don't leave the vision that God's given you personally for the increase for your season of Ebron. Whatever that is personally, don't let it go. Don't look at the situation. Isaac was looking at the famine, Jenny, and he felt exactly like us. I'm telling you, he must, that's why God appeared to him. Because God knew he don't have no pastor yelling at him and, and, and all this, the Dermot Taylor singing the sweet glories of God. He don't have any of that. He's in a dry and dusty place with a famine. I better appear to this boy or he's going to jump ship. That's what he was thinking. And he appears to him and he says, don't go to Egypt where it's flourishing. Stay right here. I'm going to bless you. I've prepared a place where I've spoken. I've prepared. And what did he do? He decided to stay. And what did God do? The Bible says that he waxed. It means over time. It didn't happen because he won the lottery. Over time and faithfulness, he began to reap and reap. The the flocks gave birth and he began to grow great. What's the key? What God said 
is what God said, and it has not changed. We hold fast to it. We believe. We don't let go because if he said it, he's prepared it and he expects us to enter it. But what's going to rob us from entering it is if we depart, if we disobey him. He said, stay with me, stay with your pastor, stay with the word I've given you personally to your family. Stay with it. Speak it. Hebron is your word. It's going to be a season of establishment and acceleration. Stay with it. Stop looking and getting distracted and just stay with speaking this. It will surely come to pass. And then I was done. Remember on Friday night, I was also done. And then God said, I want you to also tell them Hebrews 4 about the rest faith connection. Well, I was done and I closed my notes and I said, Lord, thank you. What a wonderful, encouraging word for the people tomorrow. They're going to be so blessed by it. And then I heard him say, I want to tell you one more thing, son. Just like that extra, he he has a tag, what Taylor calls a tag. So when you're singing a song and then you add a tag and it just goes from level one to level 10. Well, he gave me a tag to this sermon and I said, yes, sir, I'm listening. And he said, just keep reading. I'll show you the extra that I wanted. So I kept reading and I kept reading and I kept reading and I got down to verse 12. Would Would you look at it with me? It says, look now in verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Now I've read that before, but Taylor, God, God spoke to me and he said these words I've never heard of. I'd never seen this before. He said to me, he looked at Jenny, look at me. He said, did I tell him to sow? And I read it again and I read it again and I read it again and I can't find one reference to God telling him to sow. The Lord said to me, what did I tell him? God told him, don't leave, stay here. I'm going to bless you. God told him not to leave. God didn't tell him to sow. God is telling us, don't leave, don't leave me. Keep your sweet relationship. Don't leave your pastor. Don't leave your vision. Keep saying it. That's what God's telling us. But did you notice, Taylor, God didn't tell him to sow. The man had enough common sense without God's instruction to say, you know what, at a time, if God is telling me in a famine season that he's going to bless me, that's a miracle. Well, you know what, if God's going to bless me, I might as well put some seed in the ground so he has something to work with. And the word of the Lord came to me, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, now you can take this as a manipulation if you want, but your heart's impure if you do, because my heart is as pure as the driven snow in what I'm about to say. But God said to me, son, I should not have to tell you to sow in a time of famine. You should automatically know if I've told you that I'm going to bless you and I need seed in order to bring a harvest, you should automatically know that it's time to sow when it's time of famine. Because if I've told you not to leave and I've told you to stay here and I've told you I'm going to bless you, I don't have to tell you to sow. You automatically know it's time to sow. If I'm going to bless you in a time of famine, all the more it's time to sow. Now look at the extreme. Time of famine, least likely time to sow. Yet he sows. And then what does God do? He said he's going to bless him. He could have just blessed him with a normal harvest. But because of the faith that it took to sow in a famine, God also rewarded him with a much larger harvest than normal. And he got a hundredfold. 
So normal situations, you release normal faith, you're going to release a normal, get a normal harvest. But in contradictory circumstances like famine, when God says, don't leave and you obey, and he says, I'm going to, I prepared a blessing for you. I'm telling you there's blessing here. Don't leave. And you say, yes, sir. I'm going to keep my words. I'm going to stay in my church. I'm going to, da, da, da. I'm going to keep tithing. I'm going to do, I'm going to, and then you look at all this famine, all this negativity. And on top of all of that, you say, well, if it's time to, if it's time to increase and there's a famine, I better sow some seed. God don't even have to tell me. I'm just going to sow some seed. And you end up sowing seed using great faith in a time of famine. God will not just give you a harvest. He'll give you an abundance of harvest, which is where we see the word hundredfold. It took greater faith to sow in famine, and he got a greater harvest. And it might take greater faith for you to sow in famine because coronavirus is famine, but you will get a larger harvest. And I was sitting there yesterday when I was praying with Taylor and the Lord said to me, son, you want people to come in and be a blessing to your church? I expect you to be a blessing to somebody else. And he said, I want the ministry to sow $1,000 to this minister. I want the ministry to sow $1,000 to that minister. I won't say their names, but God gave me two ministers to sow into. And I said, Lord, you know that we don't, this is not the right time to do that. And, but I know the principle of God's word. When there's famine, even though it takes greater faith, you sow, why? Because God told us it's a time of increase, which means he's prepared increase. He said it's Hebron, it's time of increase, which means he's prepared Hebron and a time of increase. And in contradictory circumstances with greater faith, sow during that Hebron season and you'll get a bigger harvest in that Hebron season. And I'm not manipulating you. Don't do it if you don't want to. I'm telling you the Bible says it and the Bible will work for me in a better covenant with better promises than what this man had in a lesser covenant with lesser promises. So I sowed and I'm sowing personally and I'm sowing from the church. I've sowed faith seeds which which takes greater faith in a time of famine, but I'm going to get a bigger harvest. So this is not the time to shy away. Don't leave God. Don't leave me. And don't leave your personal vision. God has said it's our Hebron season, which means he's prepared it. He's gone before us to prepare it. Just believe, hold fast. Don't let go. Only believe. And so this is our time of Hebron increase. Doesn't matter about natural. Doesn't matter about famine. It's our time. So he shouldn't have to tell you to sow. You should automatically know, like he automatically knew. Isaac knew. So, and it takes greater faith, but it's going to bring a greater reward. Hallelujah. So some of you, you believe in God for big things. Now's the time to sow. Now's the time. And I'm not saying that because our money might be down in the regular tithes and offerings. I'm not saying it for that reason. My faith is not really in you. God will use you primarily, but my faith is beyond the congregation. My faith is in God. God will do it. Uh, if you don't help me, like Esther, uh, deliverance and enlargement will arise for promise of life from another, another way. But, but you're going to be in, you, you know, if you disobey, it's going to hurt you, Esther. It's going to hurt you, promise. So I'm not trying to manipulate you or press you, but I'm telling you, I'm sowing an extra seed Every week until this is over, I'm sowing an extra seed in my time of famine because God has still said, this is your land. What has God told us, Jenny? This is your Hebron. This is your place where I'm going to bless you. And it might be in coronavirus famine, but if you just sow, I'm going to bless you even more. So that is what I'm doing. I'm sowing extra. I encourage you to sow extra. I'm praying extra. I encourage you to pray extra. Don't keep, don't back away your relationship with Jesus. Keep him center. Keep him sweet. Keep that beautiful intimacy with him. Don't back away from me. Keep plugging in. Keep watching live stream. Keep praying. Keep reading our emails. Keep sowing. Keep. 
and don't back away from your personal vision. What God has promised you in this season will surely come to pass. Your personal vision, don't back away from it. Hold your confession with me. Hebron will surely come to pass. He spoke it. He's prepared it. It's our season of takeoff and acceleration. It's our season of establishing. And we're going to sow and we're going to reap. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I bless the precious people today that have watched. Lord, I didn't intend to go as long. I guess we could partially blame Jennifer and a little bit blame Taylor, you know, because they did speak a little bit too. So I have some excuse. But Father, I feel that exactly what you wanted us to share was shared. That Lord, you used them. You've used me. And that Lord, the word of God has come forth strong and bold and confirmed from the mouth of two or three witnesses. Lord, there's me, Reverend Taylor and Jenny. We're conf- you're confirming it through our individual and multiple mouths. Let the people remember that Hebron is the same, that God intends to bless us the same. Nothing has changed his mind. He is not taken off guard. He knew all of this was going to happen and he still said it, which means he prepared it. If he said it, he prepared it. If he said it, he prepared it and he expects us to enter in what he prepared so he can bless us. How do we enter in? Don't leave God. Don't leave the church and don't leave our vision, our personal vision. And what what else do we do? Not only do we not leave, see if I father had left he wouldn't have got the blessing but if he had stayed and hadn't sowed he also wouldn't have got the blessing so Isaac had to stay put and he had to sow so heavenly father these people in my church they have to stay put and they have to sow they have to stay put in their relationship with you and me they have to hold fast the vision and they have to sow those were the two criteria that Isaac had to follow he had to stay faithful where God told him and he had to sow in order for what God had prepared and said to be a reality in his life. So Father, you have said Hebron is increase. We are going to stay put and we're going to sow. And if we'll do these two things, stay faithful and stay sowing, what you have said and prepared, which is Hebron, will surely come to pass for us, regardless of the famine. I bless them. I thank you for each and every one of them. I thank you that this word holds them now through the storm in the mighty name of Jesus. I, I, I reach my hands out toward the screen, Father, and I ask that they would reach their hands. Jenny, come. I, I, we reach our hands out toward the screen, and, and they reach their hand back to us as a point of contact for their faith. And I say, Father, we bless them in the name bless of them. Jesus. We bless them in the name of Jesus. I say, be blessed. I say, be blessed, and I say, be blessed in Jesus' name, and you better believe it. And I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. The blessing of the Lord makes them rich and adds no sorrow. I say that you give them richly all things to enjoy. I thank you that you give them the power to get wealth. In Jesus' mighty name, I bless them. Congregations, stay put and sow. Because what God said in Hebron, he has prepared. And it will come to pass, and we will see the hundredfold yes. like Isaac did. Do you want to add anything? I just wanted to add, uh, aren't you happy? Aren't you happy to hear how God thinks about this? You're hearing it from anointed lips. 
we read that scripture about Isaac and it, it's, it thrills us there. But see, this is what the preached word is for. This is what the office is for because the Holy Ghost resides on it and then begins prompting because as he's speaking, I'm prompted. I can feel the Holy Ghost talking to me about different things to sow in my life. And while we have it in our hearts to sow and have attempted to, he makes it specific. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost now. And it's just thrilling to sit here this morning and to hear exactly how God sees it, exactly what God thinks about it. And as you know, there's no defeat. There's only victory. And I just, I'll end with this. I'm so grateful that before this uh, thing descended in a sense on the nation, every nation is going through it in a different way. God snuck the prophet in here, talking about brother Randy Greer, plucked him in, told us about the distraction, told us to ignore the distraction, just do what God said, don't be distracted, press in, and then plucked him out and he went home and then this came. Now that is divine timing. Hours after that. Hours hours after that. Hours after that. So this is the hand of God and he's been with us and he's been talking loud. So make sure your ears are open. We love you. We're for you. And there's only victory for those that believe. This is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith.